Please pray with me. Lord, we've heard uh, many amazing truths this morning. We've reaffirmed many truths with our mouths. So we come and say, breath of heaven, breathe on us now. Revive in us an awareness of your presence, of your life in us today, and give us the ability to glorify you with our whole being. We come to listen, Lord, so speak. Your servants are listening. May it be to us as you decree in Jesus' name. Amen. Thought it might help if we just dove right into the text this morning. A uh, quick review as we enter into the Bible verse we're going to be looking at in, in Luke chapter 1. Reminder that um, the priest Zechariah received an angelic visitor telling him that his wife was going to be pregnant with a boy who was going to become the last Old Testament prophet who would then usher in, he would, he would prepare the people for the Messiah's arrival and usher in by, by saying the kingdom of God is coming because he's telling us the king is about to be here. Six months after the angel spoke to Zechariah, the same angel appeared to a young peasant girl named Mary to tell her that she was going to become pregnant as well. Only her child is going to be different. Rather than proclaim the coming of the king, her child is the king. As the son of the Most High God, the child she carries is going to be the one who initiates and establishes God's rule, God's kingdom in this earth forever. Think about that a second. I mean, what's a young girl going to do with information like that? I mean, how is she going to manage that stuff? I mean, she knows at this point, as she hears this news, that her life is totally different than what she thought it was ever going to be. As a young, betrothed woman who has not yet consummated her marriage with her husband, this pregnancy will ruin her reputation, distance her relationships, and place upon her son the stigma and shame of illegitimacy that he will carry for the rest of his life. But that's just the start of it. Since she is carrying the one who will be crowned king, then their very presence is a threat to anyone in authority. So somewhere along the way, as life begins to unfold, she's going to start hearing things from the Sanhedrin and from the high priest and from Herod the king and from the Roman governor and maybe even from Caesar Augustus himself. They're all going to want to intervene at some point in time to stop this from taking place. What Mary received was really good news, but it was also really hard news. It was the kind of news that would require her to have a lot of faith, but more than that, it's going to require her to have a lot of courage, too. What is a young girl going to do with information like this? Well, you can think about a number of things she would want to do. Well, one thing she's going to want to do is she's going to want to process this stuff, you know? She needs to find somebody who's going to understand what's going on who can support her in this strange, miraculous thing that's taking place. And so with that as background, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Verse 38 is that place where Mary makes her famous statement, I am the Lord's servant, may it be done to me as you have said. She embraces the call that God's put upon her life. We go right to verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting, isn't it? After 400 years of prophetic silence, God breaks the silence with a woman's voice. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, my Lord is a phrase that's a direct equivalent with my king. Elizabeth, by the Holy Spirit, knew exactly what was going on here. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, Oh, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. One day, a man was traveling down a country road when he saw something rather curious in the farmer's field and it made him stop. He parked his car, was watching it. Out there in the field, a little distance off, he saw the silhouette of a man and the man's hands were clasping a pump handle and the man was vigorously working that handle up and down. And as he worked tirelessly at this job, water was gushing out of the spout into, a, uh, into an aqueduct that was taking the water diff to different places. Kind of like uh, Moses watching the burning bush where the bush burned but wasn't consumed by the flame. The man was intrigued by the thought that this guy that he saw in the field was never growing tired. He just kept pumping the handle. So he got out of the car to go investigate a little bit further. It didn't take long for him to figure out what was actually going on because he drew near and he saw that the man, the silhouette, was actually just a plywood cutout and the pump was a facade that was over top of an artesian well. You see, because the man was not pumping the water. The water was pumping the man. And I think this is a little bit of what happened to Mary. I mean, how else can you explain how all this praise just wells up inside of her and just comes bubbling to the surface? The question is, how did she get to a place where she was able to glorify God with her whole being? And if it's possible for her to do that, is it possible for us to do it too? Since we understand that Mary is a good example for us and not an exception to us, the answer is yes. We too can reach that point as well. Verses 46 to 55 form Mary's song, or what is more traditionally called the Magnificat. It gets its name from the first few words translated into Latin, where Mary says her whole being magnifies the Lord. It's a Magnificat. This song also tells a lot about Mary and a lot about what it takes to have artesian praise. To begin, the song could only be sung by someone who knew the scripture really, really well. I mean, not only is it loaded with Old Testament allusions, but its very form and structure 
it mirrors many different songs that other people have sung, songs that were sung by Moses and Miriam and Deborah and Hannah. And on top of all this, uh, you, Mary makes the connection between the child she's carrying and the promises God made to Abraham. Folks, that's some pretty serious theology going on there. Mary knew the Holy Scriptures, and she knew them well. I think the Scripture had become so interwoven in her being that it informed her on her view of God and her view of self. She understood that God was her supreme king. No matter who happened to rule the country at that moment, God was her king, and she was his servant. There was not going to be any grumbling. She was not feeling forced to act in any way that she didn't feel like she wanted to act. Her surrender to her God was with her whole being. That's what she meant when she said that her spirit glorifies and her soul rejoices in, in God her Savior. She's saying, every part of me is fully engaged in this. She is holding nothing back. So how? How can a person get to a place where it can be said that this is true of them? Well, Mary was a human being, so she didn't just get there. God didn't just wake her up one day and zap it into her. I mean, she had to grow into this, right? And my guess is that over the course of time, she reached a point where when the angel's words came to her, she had already been prepared to say, yes, may it be to me as you have said. But what's interesting is her saying yes to that particular moment, she still didn't know what that yes would mean. What are some of the negative things that are coming because of that yes? And so in her life to come days ahead, there's going to need to be other times when she surrenders and says, okay, may it be to me as you have said. She's going to have to do that several times in her life because of this initial yes. So when she says, may it be done to me, what she's actually saying is, whatever comes, I accept it. Now the Magnificat not only shows how Scripture influenced her view of self and view of God, it also shows us just how courageous she was. I mean, take a look at verses 51 to 53 again. I mean, when Mary said that God scattered the proud, brought down the rulers, and sent the rich away empty, but he's lifted up the humble, and he's filled the hungry with good things, let me tell you, she is making a political statement that could get her arrested. As a member of the lowest rung on the societal ladder, she is speaking truth to power. She is expressing something that is shaking Herod, that is shaking the Roman Empire a little bit. She's saying justice is on the way. And there's going to be a total turnaround of society where the first will be last and the last will be first. So if you've been rich, if you've been in power, if you've enjoyed that privilege and you've abused that privilege, you better be on alert. Because a new king is coming. The rightful king. One who will rule with righteousness and compassion. I've already said this impacted Herod, this impacted Caesar Augustus. And courageous Mary entered into this song using the past tense. She is so certain that it's going to happen that for her, it already has. You can almost feel the nations tremble a little bit. The news Mary received was really good and really hard. Even so, she was willing to fully embrace God, the call that God was giving her. Now, she didn't know what that yes meant, did she? She didn't understand all the negative things. were. Gonna, she didn't know if Joseph was going to divorce her and leave her alone. That would be really hard. 
She didn't know if sometime in the future she would ever have to say, just quickly pick up everything she owns and leave in the middle of the night so she could escape Herod's sword and go off to Egypt somewhere for safety. She didn't know if that was ever going to happen to her. But she willingly embraced whatever it would be. You know, so often we tend to think of Mary as someone who's like at a different level than us, right? And so because she's a different level, a different quality of human being, that, that there's just no way that her life can connect to ours. She's human, just like you and me. And while there are some significant differences between her lifestyle and ours and different centuries we live in and this type of thing, I can't help but wonder that on, on the level of, of her calling and on the way that God is using her to, to uh, fulfill his redemptive plan, at that level, is there much difference between us and her? I mean, Mary was amazed that God chose her to carry the Christ. Removing the unique, specific features of her situation. Should we be there too? I mean, shouldn't we be amazed that we've been selected for faith? That God has allowed us to carry the Spirit of Christ in us? Shouldn't we be amazed at the role he's given us to be able to, to participate in his redemption of the world? I mean, look at what happened up here today between Matthew and Summer and Bree. Wow, that was so cool. They're all part of God's plan. Aren't we shouldn't just be praiseful for that? I kind of can't help but think that if this is what Paul had in mind when he, he told the Colossians. He talked about Christ in you, the hope of glory, or the Galatians, that he was in the pains of childbirth until Christ was formed in them. Like Mary, God places Jesus inside the lives of all who believe his word is true. Christ in you, the hope of glory, until Christ is fully formed in you, and you are fully surrendered to him. Our faith and the blessing that comes from that faith is not something we've done for ourselves. It's something that's done for us, and we certainly don't deserve it, that's for sure. So when, when, when this one truth alone begins to take root into our lives, when we begin to feel it at the very core of our being, that's when an artesian well is released, a well that leads us to praise, where we don't pump it, it pumps us. So how do we get to this place that Mary occupied, the place of full surrender where we are willing to do anything that God makes clear he wants us to do, whether we like it or not? How do we get to that place where we can trust God with anything he sends into our lives and say yes to it, even though we don't know what's coming behind that yes. Well, I think uh, based on what I see in Mary's words in life, I'm convinced that scripture was pivotal in preparing her to become the, people we see, the person we see in this story. But her engagement with scripture, it's different than how we engage in scripture, I believe. Uh, she was able to engage in Scripture in such a way so it went into the head, into the heart, and began to be interwoven in all parts of her life. How do we do that? I mean, our worlds are totally different than Mary's world. I mean, really. We've got phones buzzing and emails coming in with attachments that we're supposed to read and all these things and all these distractions and all the fullness that we have. How do we engage the Scripture in that way? I want to share with you Three sustaining practices that have been really helpful in my own life. These sustaining practices 
are just that. They are values to live by, not tasks to perform. They're not things that go on your task list. They're part of who you are because you recognize how important they are for your life. In the same way that eating and sleeping is important, so too these things are important to sustain your life. They are things we do in the rhythm of our day. And of these things, the very first thing I mention is most important because it helps inform and give health to the other two. So, very first thing, most importantly, engage Scripture daily. This is how our minds become renewed. But we need to engage it in such a way that brings transformation and not just information. This is where the difference between Mary's culture and our own. Everyone in this room that was born in this country and raised in this country has had the experience of just being influenced by reading and engaging things for information. We want to get ideas from it so we know what to do with it, right? Well, that doesn't touch the heart as much as it does the head. Scripture says that if we're going to, what that does is that we, we want to get through the word. We want to get through all the different words so we understand what it says. But engaging the scripture allows the word to get through to us. And quite honestly, there's a lot we can do in reading. There's ways we can read the scripture to engage it, using our imagination and some other things, Lexio Divina, some really good stuff. It can take 25, 30 minutes in a day. It's really helpful to do. But what I want to do is focus on the simple things that we can do in just a few seconds a day. The key is doing them consistently, weaving them through our day. So while reading the scripture is necessary, engaging it is essential. There are ways to read it, but let's read it in a new way here. For instance, you can memorize a manageable portion of Scripture and carry it with you throughout the day. So every time you're driving to work or driving home in your commute, you're going through this particular passage of Scripture, or maybe you do it at lunchtime, or maybe there's a time in the day where you go through this passage at least once, maybe twice a day. For instance, Psalm 131. It's manageable, and listen to what it says. My heart is not proud, O Lord, nor are my eyes haughty. I don't involve myself in great matters or in things too wonderful for me. But I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Rob, and I put my name in there. It says Israel in the original text, but I just put my name in there to make it more personal. Oh, Rob, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Is your heart disquieted? Are you suffering from illusions of grandeur? Do you feel pride welling up inside of you? Lack and hope? You stay up at night and you can't go to sleep because your mind is just spinning with all these different things. I can tell you this kind of passage, reviewed several times in the course of a day, over the course of weeks, even months, it can begin to change how you interact with this world, how you interact with yourself and how you interact with God. Now, if your brain does not hold on to memory verses anymore, and I get that, it happens, it's happening to me too, let me tell you, find a manageable portion of scripture or, and, put, and put it in a song. Or listen to songs and go, oh, there's one right there, that's really speaking to me, and then put it in your playlist and play it in the morning when you're brushing your teeth. Put it in the car when you're commuting to work. Do something with it so that every day, at least once every day, if not a couple times every day, it's brought into your life. Talk about it when you sit and when you rise up. Think about it when you drive your car. Ponder how it relates to you and your life. Ponder how it relates to the situations you're finding in your day. Whether it's reading, listening, or discussing, engage the scriptures daily in a way that lets the words and their meaning get through to you. 
In so doing, you will gain a clearer view of God, a proper view of yourself. And you'll begin to mirror what Mary was doing. And let me suggest, alongside of engaging the Scripture daily, let me suggest two simple practices you can do um, that augment, help out, and they, they both, they, they, it flows back and forth, but the Scriptures inform and bring health to these two things. Pray and write. And when it comes to praying, okay, we can talk about sweet hour of prayer and all these acts and all kinds of other things. But again, let me give you some really simple things that every one of us can do. The key is to do it consistently. Under prayer, you can pray your food and pray your hunger. Praying your food is kind of interesting. So pick one meal every day for a week or so where you uh, sit around the table and you select one item that's on your, on your plate. Broccoli or, you know, steak or whatever it is. And then just think through the steps it took to get that piece of food to you. Oftentimes it begins, you got to go back to the beginning, right? Oftentimes it begins with a seed or with the birth of an animal. Let's just say it's the seed. Let's say you've got some bread on your plate. And so you say, okay, it began as a seed. What is it required? Well, somebody need, needed to plant the seed in the ground. And to plant the seed in our day and age, it required some kind of machine. That machine needed engineers to design the machine and people to build the machine and mechanics to maintain the machine. And it needed some refineries to be able to bring oil and gasoline to power the machine. Along the way, that particular seed needed some nice air, some good, some good weather, not too wet, not too dry. It needed all kinds of elements that come into play so it could grow up and bring fruit. After it brought fruit, it needed more machines to be able to, to harvest it and then to take it to, to, to market or to process it and to bring it out to be where it needed to be. Along the way, there were bakers and refiners and there were people who were kneading it and there were people who were putting it in ovens and those ovens need support and they need maintenance as well. And then somehow it got to a big store called Payless, let's say. It has in a plastic bag and in a truck that came over to Payless and somebody had to build that store and somebody has to maintain that store and then somehow you had a job that paid you money so you could go out and buy that loaf of bread to bring that piece of bread to your table. Do that five, one meal a day, five days, and you will soon find out that you don't have a lot of control over the food <laughs> that you get. I mean, it, it's a long path to get to you. And it helps us to recognize just who we actually are and how needy and how, and how, um, how dependent we really are on other people and other things. Another thing we can do is to, play, is to pray your hunger. Which means the first step is to get hungry a little bit, which means you got to skip something. Maybe it's a meal that you skip. Maybe it's that mid-afternoon snack or cup of coffee, that pick-me-up that carries you through the rest of the day. Whatever it is, you skip eating something. And so when the hunger comes, or when the habit comes, because it works both ways, I have a habit of getting that right now. When the hunger or the habit comes, stop yourself and turn it into a prayer. Lord, I, I hunger after you. Lord, my appetite is for you alone. And it's interesting, as, as, as you spend more time in the scriptures, allowing the scriptures to just to in, in, integrate into your life, you find out that your prayers like this become different. Lord, you are the source of my life. Lord, I want to hunger after you more than I hunger after this food. Lord, this food is a picture of how I, how I am dependent upon you. I mean, it's amazing what happens as, you begin, as these things begin to work together. And then when you, when you get to the point where you're actually going to, um, going to eat something, whether it's the cup of coffee or whatever, as you're bringing it to your lips, Lord, thank you that you are the one who satisfies my needs. This food is a tangible reminder of your grace in my life. 
this, these, these things take seconds to do, okay? We're, talking, we're not talking about a sweet hour of prayer. We're talking about a sweet five seconds of prayer. You know? uh, it's just prayer that's interwoven throughout the day. So engage Scripture daily, pray, and finally write. Use your pen or use your keyboard or use something as a tool to dig around the, 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 that artesian well to free up that flow of water. Spend time writing a little bit what's on your heart to the Lord. I don't know, it might be praise. It might be a lament. It might be thanksgiving. It might be a petition because you're feeling the weight of some kind of burden on your life right now and you need his help. Whatever it is, practice writing that out. And watch what happens. They give it a shot. Sustain the practice of these three things or just pick one of them and begin to integrate it into your life and see what begins to take place as it clarifies your view of who God is, as it begins into proper proportion your view of who you are, and it deepens the gratitude for the one who planted Christ in you. You please pray with me. Lord, we want these things to always be informed by Scripture and to weave them throughout our day. So by your word, guide us in these things, Lord, that we might become the people you would like us to be with Christ being fully formed in us. Being selected to carry the Messiah is a high honor. None of us deserve it. So like Mary with hearts full of wonder, we want every part of our being to magnify you. We want our full hearts to be filled with courage. We want our voices to speak hope to the hopeless and truth to the powerful about the peace and justice that is on its way because quite honestly, you, O oh Lord, the long-awaited righteous and compassionate King, you have already ascended your throne. It's already taken place. It's already unfolding in front of us. And we are privileged to be part of it because of your grace in our lives. Ah, oh, help us to give you glory with our full being as we rejoice together in you. In Christ's name.